bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome to episode 176 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and this week on the show, it's just me. I, if you follow me over on Facebook, you'll understand I posted a video yesterday, so that was March 30th, 2021, if you're listening in real time, talking about why this podcast doesn't have a guest this week and probably won't have one next week. So instead of guests, I've decided to just talk with you about grief, (laughs) which is possibly a pretty heavy topic for many, many of us, many people listening. Grief and loss have been a huge part of my life and They're visiting me again at the moment, so that's why there's no guest this week and there won't be any next week because I've been doing other things and finding guests for the show hasn't been up as high on my priority list as it normally is because I've been focused on my dad and on my family. If you don't already know, my dad was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer called T-cell lymphoma last October. And so far, the treatments haven't gone as well as we'd hoped insofar as any time there could have been an adverse reaction, he's had an adverse reaction. He was in intensive care in January with complications from his chemotherapy. He... They're trying other treatments, um, but those other treatments haven't as yet been successful with more adverse reactions and complications. And at the moment, things are pretty up in the air. And even though I like to be an optimistic person, right now, things are pretty heavy going for my family. Uh, And we're in a bit of a of uncharted territory as far as dad's condition and the future for our family and him in particular. So it's it's heavy for me, heavy for my mom, it's it's a lot for our my brother and, and everyone who loves my dad. Uh, and dad I was like the cliche of a farmer's daughter insofar as, you know, I was his youngest, his only daughter, and we had a very, very beautiful, we have a very, very beautiful, I'm so deeply blessed to have him as my father. You know, I love him so much. So this is very heartbreaking for me and very hard for me. But I wanted to make this If you followed me for a long time, I like to create dialogue around spaces where I find it difficult to navigate. So (laughs) this podcast is, is for everyone, but it's for me and people who are like me, who 
are affected by chronic illness or who have feel, you know, lost in, you know, motherhood or, or lost in their life or have hit a stumbling block and they're looking for hope or they're looking for someone to to just be talking about and sharing their stories about whatever it is that's going on in in their lives. So that's why I've talked about my diagnosis of ADHD as an adult so openly. That's why I've talked about all of what I went through with multiple sclerosis so openly. That's why I kind of am a bit of a warts and all type of person where not no taboo is too taboo for me because I know that people are are suffering out there in silence. Their voices aren't being heard and and I know what it's like to feel so deeply alone with grief or fear or sadness or shame or all of those really heavy emotions that out as a society we're not very good at dealing with. So grief is one of those emotions that we're, we just really, we'd suck at overall. I think it's a, a very neglected but important area like birth and death. Birth and death are really still so shrouded in secrecy and shame and in tucked away Perhaps not in your echo chamber if you're listening to this, perhaps like me, you follow lots of pages where this is open and openly discussed. But in the broader society, it's it's not really. And going through this with dad, I'm obviously reflecting back to my brother Brett's suffering with muscular dystrophy and his his life and his death and the grief that surrounded both of those things, his his life with a genetic terminal illness like muscular dystrophy, and and his and his death from that disease, and and it it got me thinking about you know sharing all my my thoughts, but also things that in hindsight I gaps that I had the first the first time around, and just things that I'm tools that I'm really benefiting from this time around that I didn't have first the first time when I was going through this deep profound grief and I guess one of the things that comes up to me first when I think about following my brother's death and during his life I read a lot about his condition and I I felt intellectually prepared you know I felt like my conscious mind knew what it was doing it felt really self-assured it it was all over it but my spiritual self you know my spiritual self wasn't on board it didn't my unconscious mind both weren't on board with losing this massive person in my life my brother and so afterwards like endurings, we were at the hospital when he died and I got this this howl. This howl came over me for the he was dying for seven hours after he turned his life support off. And this howl came over me that I wasn't prepared for, that no one was prepared for, that my family still talk about, that they were just so shocked that I just would not stop this primal guttural crying, this 
this howling, this deep howling that felt like it was coming from the depths of the earth, from the depths of my sorrow. And now I I identify more that my soul, I hadn't, I hadn't spiritually or emotionally prepared myself. I, de- I wasn't practicing any type of spiritual practices. I wasn't meditating. I wasn't practicing like Reiki or I wasn't seeing a, a healer. And that's not to say that you have to do all of those things, but I wasn't doing any of those things. I wasn't journaling regularly. There were so many things I could have done and should have done in hindsight to nurture myself but we don't know we don't know I didn't know but now when I think about the sadness that I felt and how debilitating it was I know that for me personally this is my own personal journey and it's not one size fits all grief it's just I'm just sharing in case some of what I share is useful to someone listening it's not saying that it's all useful for everyone but just that something might be. So if you're listening and you're saying that's not particularly useful, well then maybe listen for longer in case other things that I'm mentioning are relevant to you or, or just switch it off and listen to something else. Just take what you like and then leave the rest. So for me spiritually, I felt a big gap, you know, a big hole. And I guess that's part of the reasons why I stumbled into Reiki after this and I also stumbled into studying A Course in Miracles and, you know, women's circles and all these different practices and regular journaling that I have implemented in my life since then that I found really, really beneficial. Last year, learning timeline therapy with the Tad James company and then becoming a timeline therapy practitioner and teacher has been really powerful for me in supporting other people to let go of old heaviness, old sadness, old hurt from their past so that they're not carrying that with them into grief. Now, when I came into grief with Brett, I was carrying a lifetime of grief with me. And so no wonder once I lost him that I was just so devastatingly overwhelmed by my emotions. I was, they'd all been under the surface, just stored there, unprocessed, unmanaged. And when Brett died, everything just felt like it came flooding out. So having some techniques and learning more about the unconscious mind and how it stores emotions and represses emotions until we have the capacity, if we have the capacity ever, to healthily and safely deal with those emotions in a meaningful way that creates lasting change and a sense of release and relief for the person. I wasn't doing any self-care back then. I wasn't eating well. I was smoking. I was living off energy drinks. I was living off processed foods and high-fat foods. And the foods just do make a difference. When your brain is already sluggish because it's just pump, trying to pump around excesses of oils and saturated fats and refined sugars and grains and all of these things that we put into our bodies – of course they make a difference. Like it's, it's scientifically proven that the foods that we eat 
impact our brains. And I know that doctors Dean and Aisha Shirzai talk about this so much in their research into the prevention and reversal of Alzheimer's disease, into brain health. They're great. They have such great books and they're on another episode, which I can't remember right this moment when I'm recording this. So please check out Dr. They're called Team Shirzai on social media, but they have a website. They have the book, The Alzheimer's Solution, and they are a, a husband and wife team of neuroscientist and neurologist uh, who are just passionate about teaching to people teaching people and spreading the word that from their findings and their research up to 80 percent of alzheimer's is preventable with dietary and lifestyle alterations so that is really exciting news but in saying that you know of course when we're going through grief we we don't want extra things making it harder to navigate. So for me, I did. I had no self-care. I wasn't exercising. I My mental health was really struggling. I already was carrying into that anxiety and depression that I was being medicated for with Zoloft, which is not, I'm not negatively talking about those medications. I'm just saying that I was carrying in a lot of heaviness anyway into the loss of my brother. And a lot of my friendships, honestly, they were really fragmented at the time. So as far as community, at the time, my closest friends were living overseas. They were doing PhDs. One was in you know, challenging relationships. I didn't really have a support network around me aside from the people that I lived in my share house with. And their share house housemates are wonderful, but still it's it's a lot when you have, you know, Two share house housemates, but you're going through so much grief and no real person that you feel a deep, deep, deep connection with to help support you through that. One of the gifts that I had in that time was that I was studying. I was back at university and I was started, I just started an arts degree in English and linguistics. And even though at the time, I did not want to go to uni. Having uni and having somewhere to go, because I was, you know, I was younger then. Having somewhere to go and having something to do now, in hindsight, was such a blessing. So, what I felt like doing was sleeping my life away because I felt like the grief would. I just felt like the, I was angry. I was so angry at the world that it wasn't paused in grief with me, that I still had to go to uni, that I still had to get up and do things. I was really angry about that. I was really angry that I had to feel these feelings and that I had to be vulnerable in this way. So I had a lot of anger and I and and the sadness presents when you're sad in that way. Two things happen. One, you know, we are putting ourselves into that stress state where we crave more high calorie foods. But we also, when we're stressed, we, we, our bodies tell us to get more rest because they know we need more energy. So two things are happening when we're so stressed without resources is, well, there's many things that are happening, but two things that I'm talking about now is that we tend to overconsume high calorie foods at that time because our body our biology is telling us you need the highest calorie foods in your in your environment 
to get through this stressful situation, not knowing it's the grief of a loved one. Our bodies can't tell the difference between that and being chased by a a lion. So we're eating these high-calorie foods that in prehistoric times would have been, you know, nuts, seeds, maybe we would have hunted and caught an elk or something like that. But now we're eating donuts, Tim Tams, Oreos, Doritos, all of the hot chips, all those types of things, which are nutrient bereft and they don't actually give us lasting energy. They give us, you know, that peak of energy and then that really big dive where we feel lethargic and bloated and yuck and we get that brain fog. So biologically we're doing a our bodies are telling us to do something that's really important, get enough nutrients, get enough energy, but we're making the wrong choices because the highest calorie foods in our environments now are much different to they were before industrialization. Also, we're wanted, we're exhausted. Grief is exhausting. And I'm noticing this now, I'm reflecting on it from my grief with my brother and I just wanted to sleep all the time and I blamed the whole thing on multiple sclerosis but now I'm going through grief again and I'm feeling this in a really healthy body and I'm feeling this tiredness again where I just want to sleep and I just want to sleep because I don't want to be awake in a world where my dad's dying or really sick with cancer and I didn't want to be awake in a world where my brother was dying and then had passed away from muscular dystrophy it was too too painful to bear so your body just is like you can't you know, just your unconscious mind is also saying like you know just sleep just sleep this is too this is too much you're under resourced you don't have you don't have the tools the best option for you is to sleep let's preserve your energy just rest because you're in a high stress situation rest as much as you can And that's not a bad thing, but going through it this time, I was very thankful to my housemates back then who used to rip my blankets off and kind of lovingly drag me up to the the farmer's market or drag me to out for dinner or whatever because I wouldn't have left the bed. And even though I'm not suggesting you never rest, I definitely am not saying that. I really recommend rest. I also know that getting out and about and doing stuff and engaging in life, engaging in your life and your community and your friendship groups and things that give you per- your life purpose and meaning, it really, it really, really helps. And I know this time I didn't feel like going into work, to, you know, the last, <laughs> this this year, <laughs> the This whole year, I haven't felt like going into work. But then when I get to work, you know, I see my clients and we do the work together and I love the work that I'm doing with my clients and I'm seeing the transformations that they're happening in their confidence and in their spirits and in their eating and in their overall health and well-being. And that's so infectious to me. It makes it gives my life meaning. It fills my cup and I go home and think, okay, 
I can get through this, you know, there's a reason to get through this. Obviously, I have my family and my children who I love and my husband that I love and I know my mom and all my friends need me to get through this as well and I, and I know that there's so many beautiful reasons to continue and I'm not at all suicidal. However, there are days when you're just like, oh my gosh. And if, if I was suicidal, I was, I would not, I'm not judging anyone who has experienced grief and felt like that because I've definitely had that thought race through my mind and many other really self-destructive, bleak thoughts race through my mind. And they're not wrong, those thoughts. They're just natural thoughts that occur and come into your mind when you're grieving. Because this to me, having gone through it before, and now it's happening with my favorite guy. You know, it's, it's my favorite. He's my, he's my favorite guy. I know my kids are my favorite guy. He's a different favorite guy. He's my favorite, my first ever guy. <laughs> he's my first ever guy, my dad. So he's a, he's a big one to lose for me. I'm not going to edit out that I'm tearing up because I love him so much. And, of course, I'm going to tear up when I'm talking about losing my guy. But I um, even though those thoughts come, those thoughts come that it's unbearable, that my heart can't cope with this loss, with this, watching this man suffer in this way. And it, it's very hard for me because my whole, this last 13 years have been focused on health and healing and preventing chronic and reversing chronic illness. So it's super hard knowing that someone that you love so dearly, you're, una you're unable to support or provide help for, that everyone is on their own path and they can only get the support that they're open to receiving. They can only, you know, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink. And letting go of control has been massive, massive learning for me that I cannot I cannot save everyone's life. I cannot save everyone. I can only save mine and everyone else. They are in charge of their own. And then the circumstances around them. So there are so many facets to chronic illness and, and cancer in this case. You know, there's stress, lifetime of stress. There's nutrient intake, there's exposure to pesticides and toxins in the environment, all of which my father has had ample amount being a farmer, spraying pesticides over his crops for decades, working as an oil painter, an artist, working with all of the solvents and things that are associated with an increased risk of blood cancers. There is just a whole heap of pieces to this puzzle. And there's grief. You know, my dad, my dad lost his son. And when he lost his son, I watched a mother and a father lose their baby. And that was a little fire, that little fire within me that was like I signed a blood oath in that hospital room when Brett died that said, even though I have multiple sclerosis, 
I'm never, I'm never putting my parents through that. I will do whatever it takes to spare them from going through that again. Whatever it takes. And I, I've kept that promise. I've kept that promise. But my dad didn't have that. He didn't sign that pact in that hospital room. He signed a different pact. He lost his son. I can't imagine who I would be or how I would respond to losing my own child. I don't know. It seems absolutely unfathomable and unbearable to consider. So I... I just have to accept that his life and his journey has led him here, his decisions, and every single part has led him here. And I have to allow myself to be vulnerable, to love him just exactly where he is. And that's really hard to do. (laughs) That's really hard to do, but that's what I'm committed to doing. As I move through this next chapter of grief and of loving someone with a chronic illness. So I'm cutting it off here because I'm going to start again for a little short episode for next week. So I'm cutting it off here so that there is something for you to listen to next week. That was really, Ranjit's editing this, that contained a lot more pauses than than actual words because I found that really challenging to record. I hope that some of what I've said is helpful to you and in your life and in your own journey. And if you don't yet follow me on Facebook, I post mostly on Facebook. It's my main platform that I'm on, although I just joined Clubhouse, the app Clubhouse, and I'm hoping to start a regular little group group chats, group hangouts over in Clubhouse. So if you want to follow me over on Clubhouse, I'm Corinne Nidja, at Corinne Nidja over on Clubhouse. And I'm hoping to, I just signed up today. So I'm hoping to put out some more like interactive discussions over on Clubhouse. So I might see you over there. But if you haven't yet followed me, I'm on Facebook at Corinne Nidja and If you'd like to book yourself in for a breakthrough session, I'm focusing mostly in confidence for women and mums in particular, in self-worth, in weight loss, and in health in general, combining hypnotherapy, Reiki, neuro-linguistic programming, timeline therapy, and strength-based and narrative counseling to support women to really transform, to transform their their thoughts about themselves, their inner dialogue, their their health, their confidence and their lives. That's my favorite work to do. So if you're interested in talking to me more about that, I do free calls for 30 minutes. So if you head to my website, corinneja.com, that's where you can book in for a free call with me, or you can message me over on Facebook on Facebook Messenger, 
or you can also connect with me over on Instagram. And my Instagram's the same, Corinne Nidja. So feel free to book an appointment there. I'm also doing a lot of work with anxieties and phobias and relationships. I really, really love this work. So I hope to hear from some of you soon. If you want to book in, I'm practicing in person out of Mombolk at the Natural Wellness Center in Mombolk on Mondays, Tuesdays, and every second Saturday. And I will be adding Fridays to that soon. So probably in May. So hopefully some of those hours suit you. And otherwise I also do, if you're wherever you are in the world, I also do online via Zoom sessions. I have clients all over the world, which I love. I love chatting to people from all over the the world. So if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, I can't get to Mombolk in the Dandenong Ranges in Victoria here, here in Australia, you don't miss out. You can get everything. You can work with me via Zoom and it works all perfectly, which is wonderful in this age of lockdowns and pandemics that we can connect wherever we are in the world. So thank you for listening to part one of this little series on grief and loss and I'll see you next week bags are packed are you ready to go this time tomorrow we'll be on the road riding with you in the sunnier day